you're listening to Four at the Back, and we're off to Euro 2020. Once again, to four at the back, welcome back. If you're a regular listener, if it's your first time finding us, we welcome you as well. England hit four, and as a tribute to that, I guess, it's just appropriate that we are back to full strength. All four of us are here, Joe, Neil, Maz, joining me tonight. Lads, plenty to talk about that England performance. Uh, before we do get into anything more technical, just want to start out by saying how great is it to have an England side that is actually quite exciting to get them behind them for once? It's different, isn't it? I mean, you always do, don't you? But it normally falls flat pretty early. Whereas, you know, this time, I guess the argument three years ago was, well, we didn't we didn't play anyone good. But you've still got to win those games. You know, we, we sit there and for years and years and years, we've watched the Premier League and everything like that. And, you know, you've got to win all your games. You can only beat what's in front of you. And it's just great to see us doing that. You know, it, it was fun in the World Cup, not quite as exciting in the World Cup. And, you know, we, we fell at the semis uh, at that that time. But, you know, we got the job done and, you know, we're getting the job done here, you know, really, really well. It's the first time that England have scored four in a knockout game, I believe, of a major tournament since the final of 1966. Joe, Neil, do you guys believe in omens? <laughs> I don't know about omens, but uh, I thought it was a very mature performance because Ukraine actually played really well in the first half. Um, The early goal was obviously a a nerve settler for England. But, you know, Ukraine were quite quite threatening. They had some nice technical players, as we talked about before. And, you know, England kind of uh, just pulled away. I I think once the second one went in, they then just closed it out very, very professionally. That's kind of been the theme, really, of the tournament. When England go in front, they don't look like they're going to panic, throw things away. You know, the Croatia game in the World Cup, I mean, really, England had the better of that for 65, 70 minutes. And then the old frailty against teams that can play possession and tire them out, like that kind of stuff came back in. You didn't have any of that here in the Germany game, in the Croatia game, the group stages, it just felt very, very comfortable, you know, and the same, you know, the kind of same people stepping up and playing well, you know, Luke Shaw had a really, really good game, you know, obviously it's Kane's best game of the tournament, Sterling was very, very good again, um, I thought Sancho more than justified his selection, so yeah, lots to be pleased about. He's not afraid to make big calls, you think the most high-profile footballer in England at the moment is Marcus Rashford and other England managers would have made sure he'd have played every minute regardless of form. Southgate has been more than happy to leave him on the bench. Um, He made the call to select Sterling in the first game. It's paid off. 
he's rotated the the player on the other wing and it gives him a, a really i suppose it's a, it's a really good problem to have for the semi-final like who who do you play and i suppose from their opponent's point of view it means there's an air of unpredictability about how England they're going to set up just with that one selection defensively we've been we, we just look solid i mean we had a few moments um against ukraine you know pickford had a, had a mad five minutes didn't he kyle walker had one of his sort of weird sort of 45 minutes where he he enjoyed giving the ball away or or not intercepting when he should have done and, and i suppose those things happen and i suppose we've got a little bit lucky so far but in a, in a tournament like this you need a bit of luck and so far touch wood things have gone our way yeah i mean i i think the biggest uh biggest thing you can say about southgate in that quarter final is I didn't hear anyone asking for Jack Grealish. <laughs> I think that kind of, it kind of settled it, you know, no Foden, no Grealish, yet no one was asking for him. And yeah, of course, when you're 4-0 up, it's going to go like that. But even when we were 1-0 up at half time and it was not looking ever so comfortable, there wasn't that big, loud, where's Grealish, where's Grealish, where's Grealish, um, that there had been every game. And, you know, I think there's this... Uh, there's- there's this dawning on the sort of the the nation that there is actually a plan here. Like we don't always need to play our most creative player. And actually, I, I imagine that there's a lot of there's a lot of teams who will will be looking at England and thinking, well, it's it's quite a scary proposition to come up against. Yeah, well, what I think the big thing is is, and I don't know if this is right. I don't know if this is wrong. You know, at the end of the day, we'll find out, I guess. But you know. Southgate is very much letting his opponents dictate his style, uh, what he's going to play, what formation he's going to play, who he's going to play there. And it's interesting. I I find that very interesting because, you know, there's one argument that will always say, well, you know, you play your your way and let teams adapt to you. But, you know, this seems to be where where Southgate is, is strongest. You know, we've got a lot of good players and... We've got a lot of different types of good players as well. And you can't play them all, you know, as we've seen. You know, you, you can't you can't have Sancho and Grealish and Foden and, and Sterling and Saka all along that line. They, they do different things and you can only fit, you know, two or three of them in at a time. And it's really, really interesting to see him go in this route. You compare that to the other side of the draw and you look at Italy who have got their system and they're playing their system and everyone comes in and plays to the system without getting ahead of ourselves. If we do get an England Italy final, it'll be really interesting to see him counteract what Italy's got. You know, I think what it does for us is it it makes us more fluid. You know, if the game plan's not going right, we can switch to something else where you do wonder if, Teams that are going with their style, what have they got apart from a freshen up? I was going to save this to the end, but as you've sort of raised Southgate as a as an issue, I might as well introduce it now. So, fact or fiction then, since he's the first England manager since Alf Ramsey to make back-to-back semi-finals, regardless of what happens in the next game, two games, Gareth Southgate's the second greatest English manager of all time. Fact or fiction? England manager of all time, yeah, I'll buy it. I, I think you know, in a 
a sort of uh, a land of, of of little competition. I can't put Southgate ahead of Bobby Robson, to be honest. Quarterfinals World Cup in Mexico, very difficult conditions, played really well against the team that, that ends up winning the tournament with the best player ever to play the game in it. And then a semi-final. So maybe number three for me. I think give it a couple of years. I, I think at the moment, no. Um, and I, I'd agree that Bobby Robson is, is probably just ahead. But I, I mean, Southgate, has, he's, achieved, he, he's, he's achieving with this side. It's not always been pretty. But also, I, I wonder how much stock you put in this will vary depending on your point of view if you're talking from a purely footballing perspective probably not but the the things that he's you know he's not afraid to be a representative as a spokesman for English football um and I think that's quite a powerful thing as well he he speaks very very well doesn't he I've listened to him after the last two games and I've been so so impressed with 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 how he interviews yeah, as a CEO type, he's 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 peerless, really, isn't he? I, I guess that in the beginning that counted against him, didn't it? Because he he very after Allardyce when it very much looked like he was the sort of you know the FA's boy, uh, you know the sort of the the good schoolboy who'd just kind of not make a fuss and just kind of go along with things. Because of course his record at, at Middlesbrough as a Premier League manager was not fantastic. But actually, it's become increasingly important in a very turbulent world with an awful lot of political undercurrents uh, within football at the moment to have somebody like him who is intelligent enough to read the room and uh, give a thoughtful reflection on, on how the England football team fits into wider society is really, really important and is really, really valuable. Yeah, he's he's certainly certainly proved himself to be a great man. You know, and if he wins the tournament, I think probably you'd have to say fair enough, great manager as well. I think I think it's fair to say that England have been at least the second best team in this tournament. Like, you know, we've we've been very big fans of Italy and the way they've they've turned up and and been a very cohesive unit. And you know, they they've won, they they dispatched Belgium. I think we all really want to see Italy versus England. I don't I don't I think anything other than that will feel like a bit of a disappointment in the end. What I will say is, what I will say is Mason Mount has basically been invisible for most of the tournament. When he's played, obviously, obviously he missed the uh, the second round game. But I think there is a case to say a bit of boldness to play Grealish in that central attacking midfield role would not go amiss for me. You know, I know that he likes Mount for his pressing and his work off the ball and he doesn't quite trust Grealish to do that, but I don't know. Like Mount has not been the Mason Mount that he was before the Champions League final. It feels to me like that run for the Champions League final that Chelsea had was unbelievable and, and winning it, but he doesn't look the same player at the moment. And then, of course, he had to self-isolate for 10 days in a soulless hotel room somewhere in the middle of England so I, I don't know I think there might be a case for either Foden or Grish playing over Mount I don't think Southgate would do it but but you know there is that case there the one thing I'd say I, about it's... that is I think I think the regulations about his substitutions means he doesn't feel under pressure to do that like I think he as you say like he that Mount has his value and I think the fact that you can introduce 
five subs and replace half your team during normal time means that you know if if he does need a bit of extra um, if he can basically sub off the front five and put on a different one if, if he absolutely needs to it, it, it reminds me of when eddie jones first took over as the england rugby union coach and oh, he the, stopped the, the finishes <laughs> there, yeah but there's something in it like there's sometimes you want players to come out and close out a game or to change things up and and referring to them as, as substitutes is is perhaps sort of d- doing them a bit of a disservice when actually grealish grealish's entry into both the germany and uh, it was the Croatia game, wasn't it? They were measured. He was there to do a job, and it, it wasn't a panic thing, I don't think. Yeah, I, th- I think I very much agree with, with, with Joey there. Um, you know, how I look at it, I mean, think about where we were. You know, five games ago, we were sitting here and we were saying, we've got lots of exciting attacking options, but not sure about the keeper, not sure about the defence. And look where we are now. Five games, goals conceded, zero and in the semi-finals of this tournament and you know it, it brings me back as an Arsenal fan uh, I have a lot to say about this in terms of the fact that I grew up as I've stated numerous times not watching Wenger's Arsenal but watching George Graham's Arsenal which was organised disciplined at the back a very different very different team from what Wenger's became and that's what that's what Southgate's doing you know it's been said lots and lots of times. I mean, it might be because I grew up listening to uh, Alan Hansen and the likes, but, you know, you you build a championship winning team from the back and he's made us really solid. And, you know, it doesn't mean we're, we're going to make, necessarily make it through the whole tournament without conceding a goal. It doesn't mean it's going to be pretty, but we've become very, very, very hard to break down. And I've got to say, I'd love it if Arsenal could do that. Back to Joe's point about and Neil's about Mount and stuff like that. Yes. You know, would we all rather see someone a bit more exciting in the very few attacking positions that there are there? Yeah, absolutely. But I think I said it on the last show I was on uh, that I, I love the idea of having this type of player on the bench, you know, different options on the bench. You've got a guy with pace like like Sancho. You've got you know, a guy who can open up doors like Grealish with some magic. You've got Foden, who's who's similar, who can open it up with his passing and his vision. You've got Saka, who can run for days. We've got options in those positions, you know. And while at this point it's a given, Kane and Sterling are going to be starting, we've got lots of options in that third attacking role and potentially in that attacking midfield role if we, if we go for it outside of Mount. And, you know, that's got to be a positive. You know, the fact that we're solid and we still have all those options. You mentioned uh, Harry Kane there, and this is the last kind of thing I really wanted to bring in before we, we moved on, which is, you know, he's finally amongst the goals now. He, he's gradually looked better at every stage from the nadir of the, the Scotland game. He looked a little bit better in the Czech Republic game, a little bit better in the, the Germany game and had the, the good fortune to have that one go in. And then he looked a little bit better again in this one and was obviously quick off the mark to to give England the lead so if there's one real cause for optimism it's that not only we're we not conceding goals but now we actually do seem to have a little bit of reason for thinking we'll be a bit more potent going forward in these final rounds I thought he was excellent I mean what I did say last last show uh when Kane breaks his duck after he's had a little bit of a drought he does tend to go on a run and he yeah, he led the line incredibly well. I thought was very was very sharp. That pass from Sterling, 
but for Kane's opener was sublime. Yeah, so he, yeah, I thought I thought he was really really good, and you know, no reason why he he shouldn't be absolutely filled with confidence going into the Denmark game. He's looked fitter and fitter, you know, as time has gone on. So yeah, good news really because clearly Rashford is not fit, and that's why he's he's not even getting really many minutes off the bench. You know, doesn't seem to trust trust Calvert Lewin. So it's a good job Kane has found his form really. Hopefully it lasts two more games and then he's gone by the charity shield. <laughs> yeah, he's not biting. No, no. He won't, he won't, he, he, he won't be playing for Spurs. It won't matter. <laughs> he, he, he was. He was actually. He was unlucky not to get a hat trick as well. He, he, he had that um, fierce volley that was saved in the the second half. And I wonder what odds you'd have got on him to be golden boot after the uh, after the Croatia game. <laughs> what um, odds you'd have got on Patrick Schick winning the golden boot at the beginning of the tournament? Well, well, quite. But I, I wish I'd uh, I wish I'd put a cheeky quid on after the uh, after the Germany game. But yeah, I mean it's good to see. And again, it, Southgate's been proven proven right. Again, it it might just be luck, but you need luck. And you know, for Southgate to to put his trust into Kane, who was not fit at the start of the tournament, in Harry Maguire, who was not fit at the start of the tournament, um, and they've both come good. That's the kind of luck you need. An unlucky team can't win an international tournament. I don't believe it can happen. You need a level of luck in cup football, whether it's, you know, domestic cup, World Cup, Euro- European Cup, Champions League. That's not to say we totally discount skill. But, you know, if luck's not on your side, you're going to fall away at some point. And then Spinazzola snapped his Achilles in the uh, the Italy game. Yeah, well, I mean, we're going to talk about that Italy game in a little more detail in a moment, but uh, obviously the implications for England if they do get through the semi, which we shouldn't discount. But I mean, that's obviously going to give everybody a bit of a lift outside of the Italians and give everyone a, you know, a bit of a blow inside that camp. So uh, just to cycle back to to you know, recap, I think we were saying that uh, the Southgate greatness scale is not quite there yet, but we may have to revisit that if he becomes the first manager since Ramsey to reach a final. That is a landmark and one for the CV, and Lord knows what we'll do if he wins it. Probably build him a statue. Yeah, other than that, I suppose the uh, main kind of points to, to add, I mean, Sterling was great again. Shaw really upped his game, set and half, and was brilliant. And um, and, and he's had it, done that a couple of times where he hasn't started amazingly, but he's kicked on really well in the game. Yeah, and, you know, more importantly, he's popping up in the right positions and, and laying on goals. You know, he's getting assists uh, from fullback, which is... You know, I know it's a bit more common these days, but you know, playing as as a wing back, playing as a full back, he's still popping up and getting those assists and getting them late game as well. Which, uh, when you consider how much of a question mark there's been over his fitness over the last, you know, up until the last year, certainly in the Mourinho era at United, it's uh, it's amazing. You wouldn't have thought it lasted 20 minutes back then, would you? Mourinho actually came out and praised him, which I thought was. Uh, interesting, you know, a rare, rare occasion of Jose, you know, swallowing his pride and saying that Luke Shaw played well. Did it in his, uh, in his, in Mourinho's backyard, didn't he? That's true. Yeah, is it? Yeah, right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, and actually, the, the fact that England sort of gave that performance in Rome and not away, that's impressive as well, because that's the, that's the kind of potential banana skin. Um, and a lot's been made of the fact that England have got to play all of their well, pretty much all of their games at home. Um, and it turns out that all four semi-finalists got to play all their group games at home. I, I, I don't think there's anything in that, really. 
and actually you could argue that England playing at Wembley is it will put more pressure pressure on than than not. But the the fact that they've gone they they've gone to Italy and dropped that sort of performance, I think that that's that's a big statement. It is a big statement, and it, Ukraine is not a game they should ever have really lost, and and they did have a couple of chances in the first half, but I don't think any of them were as golden as the chance that Muller had and missed, for instance, in the Germany game. So to come through it as professionally as they did away from home is what really impressed me, not only to, to carry on with the clean sheet, to never look like losing, and to even get everybody through without a booking. I mean, to do all that in the one game you will effect- effectively play away from your home ground is, yeah, it's not nothing. I'm quite impressed with that. Yeah, absolutely. And go and ask, you know, go and ask the French about, uh, you know, games you shouldn't lose. You know, it's there. That's what knockout tournament football, and we've seen plenty of upsets in this tournament from day one. So, yeah, we've avoided them all. We've done it with a clean sheet, and we're going. Right, so with uh, that covered then, I think, it's really hard to uh, to say anything too negative about England at this point because they've survived those early dross games where they just we felt they needed to show us something and well now they've shown us something they they turned over Germany which is a game they would have lost historically and then they've you know done that by turning on the style to uh, to beat Ukraine it may not have been vintage style it may not have been Brazil 1982 but they did put them to the sword they took every chance that came their way and yeah you can't fault it but meeting them in the semi-final will be the winners of the game in that well-known european city baku denmark came out 2-1 winners against the czech republic they i wouldn't say raced into a 2-0 lead because it was almost half time when the second one went in but they were comfortably up on the strength of that first half and then the second half they were a little bit flatter they allowed the czechs to come back into it but i suppose credit to them insofar as that goal came just a couple of minutes after halftime, and I don't really remember it looking like they were ever going to to really lose that lead. But I suppose that, tra- that extra bit of travelling is going to be a worry for them. You know, having to come all the way back from Baku to London. Yeah, you, you certainly wouldn't want that. You know, I mean, you, you've got to think for for the Danes as well. They they must be running on some kind of mad adrenaline right now. How long it'll last, I don't know. Hopefully until about eight o'clock tomorrow night and then it, it runs out that's what we're hoping or Wednesday night should I say depending on when you're listening to this but yeah it is a bit of a trek I've got to go now from Baku to to London do you really care about that when you're in this kind of zone probably not but I don't think there's any doubt it will take a bit of a toll you don't want to be you don't want to be traveling that much um, if you can avoid it whereas we've pretty much been at home the whole time and had a little day trip to Rome and back again. That certainly favours us. But Denmark's spirit is 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 something else. And, you know, I, I think that's probably something you could say about all the teams that are left in. The spirit's been uh, very high. You know, we look like a very cohesive group right now. Italy just look otherworldly in terms of their togetherness, which is... Uh, which is insane. Spain, not so sure, but you know, Denmark are obviously a squad that are united in the events that that happened in that first game, and it spurred them on. And you know, they've got the world behind them. They're everyone's favourite, second favourite team at the moment, aren't they? You know, and they've had some 
monster performances from, you know, very, very good players. Again, as we said last time out, they've got very good players in pretty much every position, even if they don't have any superstars on the level of Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling. But, you know, they've got a togetherness. They've got strong players across across the pitch. And it, it's not going to be easy for England. Not going to be easy at all. But I do think there's going to come a point where Denmark will probably just start to fade, whether that's in the semi-final, hopefully, or in the final. Uh, I think they're going to run out of steam at some point. The one thing I'd say about Denmark is that I don't think they've come up against anybody particularly good. I think out of all of the teams, I think they've had the easiest run to the semi-final, notwithstanding what happened in the first game. I mean, to to even still be in the tournament at this stage is, is, well, incredible, uh, given what they went through in that first game against Finland. But on paper, they've not come up against anybody where you'd think, well, that, that was a performance. And I think a lot of the goals that they've scored, and particularly the goals they scored against the Czech Republic, the defending wasn't great. So they've obviously got the ability to score goals. They've got that sort of attacking trio are in obviously good form. Can they break down England? That's the that's going to be the question I think most people are going to be asking. Who's Who's going to be able to break them down? Because nobody's managed it yet. I mean, I'm just going to jump in and say if England concede, I think it's much more likely that it'll be something that happens on the break in that game, I, rather than Denmark being the ones to come out and unpick the lock of the English defence, if that makes sense. I don't see that really being the way the game goes. But I, Are I England never... going to overcommit, though? I don't, I, I don't see England overcommitting. England do play a high line. Like, they played a high line against Germany. You know, that's, why, that's how Müller yeah. got that break. So, like, it's not as if, you know, England's... You know, people have been characterising England as defensive or cautious. I mean, that's just because they've been playing a double pivot. But playing a double pivot doesn't mean you're not playing high. Um, and England, with the exception of the Scotland game, where weirdly both teams just didn't really seem to go anywhere with any shape. Other than that, England have played pretty high. So, you know, Denmark are dangerous on the break. I think it's a little bit doing them a disservice to say that, that they're, they're not going to be a danger going forward. I think they're very much a danger going forward. I think both those goals against the Czech Republic, I mean, I thought both those crosses were sublime. In fact, I saw a very, very funny tweet that was like, can you shag a cross after the second one? <laughs> but they had the... I didn't see that one. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's, there's, uh, I think there's every reason to say that Denmark are a very, a very dangerous outfit. I, I don't think they're going to... I don't think they're going to fade either physically or mentally. Are England superior quality-wise? Absolutely. But it's kind of like if England are, I won't say Man City because that's a bit ridiculous, but if England are, say, like Liverpool or Chelsea, Denmark are Wolves or uh, another aspiring, you know, sort of upper mid-table side, you know, like... So the difference isn't that massive. Arsenal. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good evening. Um, but yeah, they're, they're like there's not there's not like a huge huge difference. Obviously, Cassius Michael's one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. Delaney and Hoiberg's top class engine room. I you know I'd I'd take Hoiberg and Delaney over Rice and Phillips any day of the week actually if I was going to yeah. pick a composite eleven. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. That's true. 
yeah, and obviously, you know, Dolberg and Paulson and Braithwaite, there's goals in, in, in all of those football players. So, yeah, they're, they're not going to be a pushover. Should England win? Uh, yes, but I think it will be, I think it'll be the most difficult game so far. Yeah, on paper, certainly. It'd be the hardest knockout game by some distance. And uh, we know how the groups went. They were all a bit of a damp squib in the end. They did obviously play Belgium in the groups and for a long time looked the better side. And I would argue that the Czech Republic are a better outfit than Ukraine. So, yeah, I mean, have they really... I suppose the difference is that they played Wales, we played Germany, and that's really the only difference you could maybe highlight in terms of the quality of the opposition. And um, there is less of a gap here between these two teams than there is between the French team and the Swiss team. So if we ever do get a bit complacent, it's always worth remembering that, that you can lose games that you're not supposed to. And, yeah, you know, in, in 92, I, I mean, in 92, Denmark beat Holland and then Germany back-to-back to win the European Championship. So semi-final beat, beat Holland with Marco van Basten and his pomp. And, you know, and then they, then they beat Germany with Klinsmann, Voller and all the rest of them in their pomp. You know, yeah, so, but John Jensen, you know, we're, we're talking a different level of engine room player here. <laughs> the legend, the legend of John Jensen. We played Denmark in Euro 92, as I recall. That was in the group phase, wasn't it? It was, yeah, because we yeah. didn't get out of the groups. No, that was <laughs> yeah. Taylor's... Euro 92 didn't happen. It's not Taylor's, <laughs> fa- Taylor's famous nightmare uh, in that one. But, of course, in England's failure in that one, it would always be remembered for the last game, which was against Sweden, where, like, Darlin and Brolin completely, like, mm. tore them to pieces. Yeah, group with Sweden, Denmark, England and France in it, and Sweden and Denmark come through. The bookies would have had a field day with that one. And that was Cantona's last games in a French shirt, I think. I don't think he ever played for them again. Oh, what, what a strange time. 92. Weird, weird football mm. in time, that. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the fact is, you know, it, all, all the superlatives will throw at Denmark and, and how well they've done and everything like that. If, before this tournament started, you would have said, right, England semi-finals against Denmark, you would have been like, yes. And I don't believe for a second, I don't think it's in Southgate's mentality uh, and how he's teaching this team that he's going to overlook anyone in this tournament and he no. won't be taking this game lightly for a second but however we ain't ever going to get a better chance to reach a tournament final than we have right now you know no no that's true you would have snapped someone's hand off to be in this position at the start of the tournament 100 percent, 100 percent. so i i think that i mean all four of these teams will be looking at this and going do you know what they will never, they will never have a better opportunity because the, the tournament favourites are out. You know, I think all of them will be thinking, oh, "We've got a chance here." I mean, none of these teams you really fancy them to win it before it. You know, a team is winning this tournament that not many people thought were going to, and that's already a guarantee. But at the same time, what semi-finalist in history is not thinking we can win this? I mean, also, once you reach this stage, that's part of the equation. Sorry, Neil. So no, let's also bear in mind, like Italy's pedigree in major tournaments is probably only third to Germany and Brazil. I mean, you're talking multiple World Cups, you know. So yeah, I, I think I think you have to remember Italy's pedigree in all of this. Like, uh, just because they've had, they had a a couple of down years and didn't qualify for Russia, but you know, obviously, I think they were well publicised dark horses going into this and. You know, as soon as that opening night game happened, it's like, no, they're actual horses. Well, uh, as you've mentioned, Italy, we might as well move on because they are really the the one team that have been a good watch throughout the tournament. 
you did mention earlier on as well the 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 loss of Spinazzola who has been a key player through the, throughout the whole thing. Uh, so there's that to contend with. But they made beat in Belgium on the FIFA rankings the best team in the world. Let's not forget look reasonably comfortable. So just to to kind of do we think Italy then at this late stage where the, the favourites tag does actually carry a bit more weight than when we give it to someone in the groups, favourites to actually win the European Championship for the first time since 1968? 100%. Yeah, that's yeah, brilliant. Without a doubt. You know, and I don't even think Spinazzola's injury is is a huge, a huge blow to them. It, it's a blow, don't get me wrong. I don't think it's a huge blow because, again, I think it's a system. That Italy team has a system and they know the system and I don't think any player in that team is indispensable. You know, as much as you don't want to have Bonucci or Cialini or, you know, Spinazzola on his form. But, you know, I think if we've seen one thing is that Donnarumma aside, I think pretty much every player in that Italy team's had some time out of the team so far. And someone else has come in and done just as good a job. So, you know, I, I yes, you obviously don't want a player who's arguably been player of the tournament, certainly in contention out with a with an injury like that at this stage but you know i don't think anyone will be losing any sleep over it in the italy camp because you know they've they've got a really good system and they they all seem to know exactly what they're doing when they come in they're a great watch i mean they're such a great watch that they're so bold you know they're just they're like you know early guardiola teams you know kind of guardiola you know, around like 2000 and 2009 or 2010, you know, real just just pressing up so high that, you know, 4-3-3, fullbacks bombing on all the time. I mean, Italy are well stocked for attacking fullbacks, by the way. So, you know, Spinazzola being injured, injured isn't as much of a disaster as it, it, it might otherwise be. I think Immobile hasn't really... Uh, looked at it last couple of games. I'd, I'd expect Belotti maybe to start the next game. Chiesa obviously came in for for Berardi, um, you know, after starring an extra time in the second round game against Austria. And I thought, you know, again, Chiesa was their, probably their best player on the night. And most of all, you get to watch them do the anthem at the beginning. You've got, um, you know, Benucci at one end and Chiellini at the other. Watch those two during the national anthem. And, you know, aside from Ivan Zamorano, there's no better national anthem singer anywhere than Leo Bonucci. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, Zamorano was classic. But, yeah, they're, they're belting out that anthem is really <laughs> one of the big, big pluses of this tournament. And, you know, I think we're doing a pretty good job uh, as compared to we have done in some years. But, yeah, we've got nothing on, on the Italians. We've not got you think, uh, as much to work so- with, have we? <laughs> not really got as much to work with. They should just sack it off and start singing It's Coming Home instead, shouldn't we? That that really... Yeah, just do that for the final, throw everyone off their, off their game. Vind- Vindaloo, sung by an <laughs> Speaking of the singing, did you see them all singing Spinazzola's name on the bus or the whatever it was after the, the game? I mean, yeah. talk about team spirit there. That was quite something. Uh, yeah, I mean, their spirit is clearly, clearly, you know, unmatched. Uh, I think in this tournament, uh, there's so much passion and togetherness and it's kind of scary to see. It's really fun to see when when you're watching them and then when you suddenly think, "Mm, if we've got to play these for the tournament in the final, 
oh, it becomes a bit scary. I think historically, Italy have always been associated with sort of a mid-tournament melt uh, at some point, and I think at the start we thought, yeah, it won't. And now we're we're two games, well, one game away from the final, and they they look more together than they did at the start. And it there's there's something spe- there's something special about this squad. Mancini has has built something special, regardless of whether they go on to win it or not. And in some ways, you kind of well, if England don't win it, I hope put it that way. I think you know what's really distinct about this Italy team is that the team I mean they've obviously did really well at Euro 2012 and they did really well at Euro 2016 but in those tournaments they were they were really limited players like the 2016 team was a really limited set of players ability wise and Conte just drilled them like a club side and got the absolute best out of that team and they took Germany's penalties and then Zaza did his weird penalty and it all went wrong for them. But both of those teams did really well in those tournaments, the 12 team and the 16 team. Uh, the, you know, the 2006 World Cup winning team obviously was just built on Cannavaro and Nesta being the best central defensive pairing, you know, anywhere going. And they just were just unbelievably difficult to beat. This This team obviously is is now playing the sort of Napoli free-flowing football. I read a really interesting article in The Athletic actually about the way that Spanish ideas have been introduced to Italian football, you know, so the way that people like um, people like Sarri, people like Mancini are very influenced by by Guardiola. Guardiola finished his playing career in Italy and so they're they're all kind of playing this this Spanish four three three now with the uh, the three passing midfield players and you know the wingers staying wide the fullbacks going on and you know it's become it's become something which is quite ingrained in Italian football now and it really annoys me when you have like people like Rio Ferdinand that have watched maybe one game of football in the last year seemingly going on about oh yeah you expect this to be defensive and actually if you've watched Italian football over the last five years it's it's not it's not really how it is like the days of of Casanaccio are, are kind of long gone you've got Chiellini as maybe the last great exponent of the arts but other than that like it's it's that's not really how Italian football is anymore so it shouldn't be a great surprise they're playing you know swashbuckling football because Atalanta, Lazio, Roma, obviously Juve they all play they all play very enterprising football, so it, it shouldn't be that surprising. Yeah, I think it's no secret that all of the major broadcasters nowadays kind of play to and kind of every man image in a way that that ITV football used to be famous for back in the day, but is now kind of what everybody does. So it's not really a a surprise in a sense that pundits, regardless of what station they're employed on, are playing on what the person who doesn't necessarily watch much football outside the Premier League is expecting to see and to find in an Italian team. I do remember the start of the tournament, I said that the Italian players that I was most kind of looking forward to, to seeing based on the league seasons I'd seen were Insigne and Verratti. I think it's fair to say they've both done quite well. Uh, um, yeah, Insigne's goal was... yeah. Like we we saw like Pogba um, score one of the goals of the time, and it was from a similar position. But he, he'd run from the middle of the of the Belgian half, and yeah, Courtois had no chance. It was brilliant. Courtois was a tall goalkeeper as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
that's the thing. It's like it's not like you you know if you score that against you know you score that against Jordan Pickford, then you kind of go well you know like the guy's he's a six foot one goalkeeper, but Courtois like enormous and he didn't get near it. Yeah, I'm, tre- tremendous. I mean, we live in a world now in, in football where, you know, one of the most exciting things for me in football, and I'm sure a lot of other people, is the old traditional number 10. And we see that less less and less with, with how formations are these days. But, you know, Insigne, he, he was essentially a 10 playing out, out wide, isn't he? You know, yeah. he's, well, he's wearing the number 10 as well, isn't he? I think he goes in this team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's really fun to watch, and he's that he's that Del Piero, Roberto Baggio, Italian stock type of player. Even if he's playing a little bit out of out of position, but you know, when it when he comes in, he's so exciting, so exciting to watch. And you know, that's that that's that little bit of magic, that little bit of gold dust on that team, which you know, it, it kind of makes you think they do have. They do have a bit of everything, don't they? I think he's he's the he's the player that I think gives them the edge over England in this tournament. I think he's because they they've integrated him into their starting lineup and he's that constant danger. We we've talked about Grealish and you know he's probably sort of the closest thing in terms of his ability around the box, but I, I think he gives them the edge in the in this tournament. I think it's uh, kind of telling and as well in the end that for all the quality and all the experience that there is in that Belgium side the one player who really came out with any kind of credit from that game was young Jeremy Doku people were raving about him but you can't really put all that on the shoulders of a young player uh, especially you know, against a team like this Italy side so perhaps it was no surprise in the end that the game went the way it did when when they're asking so much of a young lad um, but fair play to him I think he's earned himself a big money deal after the uh, after the tournament, if um, if nothing else. I mean, it's interesting. We've hardly mentioned Belgium throughout this. We've just got so many su- superlatives for Italy. It's like Belgium were kind of, oh, thanks for coming. And, you know, they, they were there. They were in the game. Let's Italy deserved to go through. But like you say, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a shame when you've got that many attacking players that, you know, this young kid's come on. And he's really not like the only one who's going to change the game. I think it's probably right what we said about De Bruyne. It's that place where he clearly wasn't fit enough really to be starting the game, but you didn't not want to have him start the game. And, you know, it it, it probably didn't help Belgium at all. But it, is this is this their last chance? Will they get another one? Maybe. De Bruyne's not not that old yet. Lukaku seems to be getting better and better and better with age. So, you know, as much as you talk about a golden generation, maybe hazard through form and injuries might be done. Who knows? Maybe you'll get a transfer somewhere else and recapture some of the magic. But, you know, it's not their last chance, is it, Belgium, to have their golden generation do something, but it's another missed opportunity. They've got they've got a lot of players, though, that are actually not part of the golden generation they've got a lot of 21 22 year old players Tielemans for example is still a very young player um you know Dennis Pratt also at Leicester you know so they've got they've got players in the age group beneath obviously Doku as as Pete mentioned they just what they need to find though and this is where they might might struggle is they've got to find three or four world-class defenders 
to to replace obviously company who's already retired, Vermaelen, uh, Vertonghen, and uh, Alderweireld, and they've been some of the best defenders in Europe over the last decade, after like, you know four to fifteen years, and you can't just shake a tree and and have defenders of that class kind of you know scatter the ground really. So that's that's where they're going to struggle. I think in the midfield and attacking positions, they're well set for years to come. Defensively, though, are you going to be playing Jason Denier and and uh, the lad that used to play for Celtic? Maybe not. I think there's they may be experiencing the same thing that England experiences, where there's a bit of a belief issue as well. Like, do they actually think they can do it? Like, they've had all these brilliant players, you know, for the last sort of 10, 15 years, and they've, they've not managed to do it. And is, is there sort of a, a weight of expectation problem? I, 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 I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm just sort of throwing it out there, really. Uh, they wouldn't be the first and neither would we. I mean, there was obviously something that happened with Spain for a long time. And I think what the Spanish thing proves is that these things weigh on teams until they don't. And that's a really unscientific way of, of putting it. But the only way to put that stuff to bed is to win. Speaking of Spain, they made pretty hard work of getting past Switzerland. But after the teams that Switzerland have played and beaten so far, we, we probably don't see that as quite so bad as as we may have done in the previous previous rounds, but it was not vintage from Spain for a lot here. It was not a vintage game, full stop. It was a pretty awful game of football. One of the least eventful uh, extra time periods I can remember, I think. Um, but, I mean, you know... Everyone was playing for penalties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was a, an odd game of football. Um, really enjoyed Shakiri equalising just because he celebrates like so passionately. That was that was kind of worth uh, worth watching the game alone. But I think you know Spain looked very comfortable in the first half, and then as soon as Switzerland started to get at them in the second half, you could kind of see the equaliser coming. I think it's a very fragile Spanish team. If they get two goals up against you, you're probably going to struggle. But but when when they're kind of you know within touching distance, they just seem a bit nervous, and I think it is just that not having a leader like a Ramos. Yeah, they've got, I mean, they brought uh, Buskets back into the side, haven't they? But they don't have as many leagues as they used to have. And it's a young team. Give it four years and, and I think Spain will be a real threat again because those younger players like your Pedris will have really matured and, and, and be in their absolute primes. But they're just a little bit short at the moment, I think. I'll tell, I tell you what, as much as we've praised Southgate, and um, you know, rightfully so, an England-Spain final could be really fucking boring. <laughs> That'll be a yeah. lot of sideways passing. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to see that. I was going to say, they did manage 28 shots in that game, but that comes from almost three quarters of the possession of the ball. I mean, actually, that's not quite such an amazing return as you might think when you start to think, OK, they've got the ball for almost you know, three out of every four minutes that the ball is in play. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a little bit like late Wenger Arsenal in that, you know, they got a lot of the ball and they pass it around a lot and don't do much with it. They have all the position and, you know, don't really do much at, at the end. And, uh, you know, then again, they scored more goals than anyone in this tournament, I'm assuming, uh, at this point. It's uh, just, yeah, yeah. just based on two games. So, you know, they can find the net. They've got lots of players who can find the net. It's weird, isn't it? They also have. 
they've a weak got, underbelly. They've got plenty of players up front who also can't find the nets. I mean, Gerard Moreno missed three absolute sitters. Yeah, he really did. And it's they funny, like all, it was awful. <laughs> Just to come in on what you're saying there, like of those 28 shots, only 10 were on target. Yeah, the, the Moreno was starting to attract quite a lot of um, quite a lot of interest from the Premier League, but. I feel like some teams might have watched, so watched that and retracted their interest. Well, yeah, perfect fit for Newcastle. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's like they um, Spain for so long were known as being like a, a team that that basically played a strikers formation. You know, won an international tournament with Cesc Fabregas up top. But this is the irony is here they actually do have strikers, but none of them are especially prolific. I will say, though, Maz, you said earlier that a final between Spain and England would be very boring. If it had been the Spain side we saw in the first game of this tournament, yeah, absolutely. They have started to be a bit more enterprising and, you know, they've created plenty of chances. They they, they are trying to sort of problem they've got is that Morata and Moreno, are, are, they can't hit a barn door with a band. Yeah, and I, I guess the problem there is, you know, uh, as Neil was saying, you know, when you could play Fabregas up up there as a false nine, you know, it's because they had such an embarrassment of riches in centre midfield. Whereas again, mm. now there's some good players in, in that they've got, but you know, it's not Xavi and Iesta, you know, Alonso and Fabregas fighting the, for the weird thing two is, positions or or whatever it is. If you look at their stats for the tournament, you'd expect them to be up there. I mean, they've they have about twenty shots. They're the tournament's leading scorers. They average sixty eight percent possession. You know, the, the next highest to that is Italy with fifty six, but eighty or nearly ninety percent passing percentage. Like they, what they're trying to do, I think they're doing well. It's just it's just boring to watch, and they do look suspect defensively. I think it, Italy. In senior in particular, will be absolutely licking his lips. You know, it's weird, isn't it? Because Laporte, for ages, was seen as being, you know, that, you know, central defender that really, uh, when he wasn't playing, City looked looked really poor. And it's funny, like, I feel like Stones and Diaz having such amazing seasons and Laporte largely being on the periphery, feels like he's lost all his confidence because he... He looked like a man that never played football before earlier in the tournament. It's strange. They don't seem to be able to, they don't seem to, be able to decide on their first choice, you know, central defensive partnership at all. So it's a bit, bit, of, a, bit of an odd one for Spain now. And I bet, you know, Ramos is, I mean, weirdly enough, I, I happened to cross a, completely accidentally Ramos's Instagram uh, the other day. <laughs> and he, he seems to be just uh, lifting weights on the beach. But if he is watching the games, then he's probably just having a chuckle to himself at like how crap the defending's been. I'm not sure how one accidentally stumbles upon social Ramos's Instagram. though. Well, unfortunately, I, I clicked on the discover oh. icon. And uh, it discovered Sergio Ramos lifting weights without his shirt on the beach for me. This Lucky you. an algorithm that kind of dictates what you see. So I feel like you've been looking for that in the past. And... <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing I did stand out, uh, we've been gifted a lot of great penalty shootouts in the last couple of months or so, but uh, they weren't particularly great. There were a lot of lot of poorer penalties in this oh, a lot one. A lot of bad pens in final. that one, wasn't it? When, when you consider how good... 
their penalties were in 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 the second round. Same penalty takers as well. That's that's yeah. the really yeah. strange thing about it. Jekyll and Hyde. The cent the centre halves just had a mare, didn't they? they but it's just, just like stop stuttering, stop doing the bloody Paul Pogba penalty. Enough. I mean, that's a great technique if you can do it, but if you can't, you're just going to throw all your rhythm out. I mean, yeah, especially you, you against... don't want a centre half trying that, do you? you no, definitely... no, you don't. I mean, against France, I mean, it's always as fun as that time when Ramos missed two Penencas. That was like <laughs> in, in one game. <laughs> like, absolute like vintage shithouse. Yeah. No, no, uh, quite. But he's completely shameless, though. He probably thought it was like, you know, oh, OK, it's what maybe the warrior I am today or some nonsense, isn't he? Um, but but <laughs> yeah, thought, I, they'll, they'll never think I'll go for it twice. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first one sailed over the bar. <laughs> <It's> like. <laughs> Anyway, me um, and every like weekend league penalty shootout in FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> he won't think I'm doing this again. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there was a really nice play. scene at the end of that post shootout though, where Thiago consoled the lad who plays for Augsburg, who obviously knows from the Bundesliga, um, and it apparently became like a big viral photo in the Spanish newspapers about like you know Thiago's kind of sportsmanship, which is nice. Was, was, is that like the work experience kid who missed, who blazed it over? Who yeah. looks like it's like 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Var- yeah, yeah. Is that Vargas? Vargas, Vargas, yeah. Vargas. Yeah, I felt sorry I mean, for I, him. I feel like that's the most interesting thing that happened in that game. Like it, it, I, I can't see any other result other than Spain getting pumped. Well, that brings me... Brings us to a way of wrapping this up then, because we're coming to to the end. I think we discussed all the games, so we are have basically said it that we think Italy and England are the favourites. So is anyone going to be bold and predict a final other than Italy and England, or are we all going to lock ourselves in and say that's the one we're expecting right now? It'll be Denmark, Spain. <laughs> this has uh, worked for you gonna, before. I'm not going to predict anything, but you know, I, I'd say I'd be very disappointed if England aren't in the final. And I'd be very disappointed as a football fan if Spain beat Italy. I think Italy should win comfortably. Um, I feel like England are due a drama. Uh, I, know we've said they, I know we said they've been very serene so far, which makes me think that we're probably due like a fraught extra time. So I feel like England are going to go through, but I feel like it won't be as straightforward as the previous games have been. Because I think, you know, Isti had their moment against Austria. I think every team that wins a major tournament has one game where it, it could have gone either way. Um, I think back to Germany, Algeria in the 2014 World Cup that Germany won, you know, and the Algeria has them on the ropes an extra time. And it was just completely bizarre. And then, of course, they go and beat Brazil 7-1. And it's kind of, you forget all about the the game that looked a bit dodgy. So, so yeah, I think every team has to have one of them, um, and England seem like they do it. So, I think England win, but after extra time. Well, the last time England won one of these games in extra time, it was, uh, I believe, David Platt who scored the winner against Belgium. Is that right? What a game. Yeah. Never, never forget that game. I mean, as he's playing for Aston Villa at the time, just putting it out there now, it could be Jackie Grealish doing exactly yeah. the same thing. Grealish oh, with a Grealish with a volley. <laughs> Uh, over the head volley, yeah. Uh, my my my, uh, my favorite bit about that goal was always like Lineker's celebration, like it kind of like as he falls over Platt's back, he kind of like mugs at the camera. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> sublime celebration. I think, that 
I think this has been a brilliant tournament and I yeah. think the final it deserves is England versus Italy. Um, obviously, things don't always turn out that way, but I, I think the perfect way to end this tournament will be to see those two teams go up against each other because I think they've both been the best teams. But then again, if, if Denmark make it, what a story that would be. And, and if they do if they do get to the final, you, I wouldn't bet against them going all the way again. So it, I, I, it's not as clear-cut as you might see. I, I don't want to see Spain in the final. No, that's, I, that's really I, I don't I've think got. anyone does. I don't think anyone does. Yeah, I miss this Spanish, yeah, no. of course. But, yeah. you know, they are not out of this by any stretch of the imagination. They are definitely in with a shout. I mean, you, you know, we, we talk about sort of international tournament pedigree and, you know, uh, Neil, you talked about Italy having it. Spain have got it more recently. Um, there are plenty of players around that squad who have, you know, have been around players who were involved in, in those wins in a, a decade ago. So, yeah, you can't count them out. But you think that Italy would have to have a serious off day to for, for it to happen? It's not so much that you can't count them out as that that is a proper babyface and heel game, right? That is that's got a good guy and a bad guy. Whereas you know we're obviously all kind of rooting for England. I think a lot of people actually quite like this England team because <laughs> they're are, very we are the heels in this game. <laughs> well, we are, yeah, but we're they're also quite popular outside because they're a very un-English team. They're making a lot of fewer of the mistakes that our teams usually make so i think that's got a lot of respect outside oh, are we saying that we're uh that basically like are we saying that denmark are daniel bryan oh let's not get into this we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah we'll lose we'll um, lose the two listeners we've got on that note i think that's uh, about all we've got time for <laughs> lads thanks for joining us we're looking forward to the next two games which are on tuesday and wednesday night uh yeah it's all very exciting it was pretty tense and uh, i got through a fair bit of whiskey during that one i'm hoping it's a little bit easier this time out but based on what neil's predicting i'm thinking it might not be we will be back after the semi-finals to recap it all and hopefully we'll still be happy lads until next time thank you very much for listening